Good morning, everybody. Thank you for the pleasure and privilege that I have to stand up here today to share God's Word with you. I ask that you would turn in your copy of God's Word to Psalm chapter 27. Go right to the middle of your Bible if you're not sure where that is, and it's just about right there. Psalm chapter 27, we're going to be looking at the first half of the psalm, verses 1 through 6 today. I ask that you would follow along as I read, beginning at verse 1 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you that we have your word. We especially, Father, delight in the Psalms because it shows the heart of devotion of your people to you. And it teaches us as your people to have a heart of devotion to you. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us that we may have the mind of Christ in this hour. Help us that we might understand your word as you intended it. And we ask it all, Father, giving thanks for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. The events uh, of recent weeks have covered the news media with uh, the fact that there is war in Europe once again, specifically in Ukraine. Reports have dominated the news over the past couple of months, and if you've heard any news reports at all, I know that all of you who are under the sound of my voice today have seen that something of the, the war that's going on. Uh, the war was started by one of our country's chief adversaries of years gone by, We've had peace with them over the past 20, 30 years or so. And so we haven't lived under the threat of nuclear war, but now the specter of that nuclear war rises once again. Our country is not involved in the war directly yet. However, we get reports over the last week that Russia is threatening nuclear war against those that interfere in their conquest of Ukraine. And so, once again, we are faced with a terrifying prospect that our country may not just be in a world war again, it may be in a world war unlike any that we have ever participated in. And that's a scary prospect for all of us. None of us are really safe in a situation like that. And so what is to be our attitude as Christians towards these events and how can we calm our fears if we have them at this prospect? Well, there's no better place than the Psalms to turn 
to talk about the heart of God's people and trusting in the Lord. The opening header tells us that David, the king of Israel, is the author of this psalm. And David was certainly a person who was acquainted with war. One of the most famous stories in the Bible, which even the smallest children in our church knows, is his battle with Goliath and with the Philistines. And David spilled so much blood in fighting with wars that the Lord would not allow David to build his temple because he said that he was a man of blood. The temple would not be built until David's son Solomon came along because God wanted a man of peace to bring forth the peace of reconciliation with his people and the temple symbolized that reconciliation. But the Bible further says about David that he was a man after God's own heart and thus we have many of the Psalms that are written in the Bible were written by David. In fact, David was a prophet as he went along in his life, and so he shows the heartfelt devotion to the Lord that he had. The Bible doesn't tell us in this psalm what the occasion of this psalm was. It doesn't tell us at what point in David's life he was when he experienced the things that were going on. And that's a good thing for us because it teaches us that the nature of the Psalms is more than a specific event in the writer's life. And so therefore, the Psalms apply to all of us. Even as David faced conflict and war in his life, so we as God's people will face the same sort of trials, even war in our own lives. And so let's examine the details of the first six verses, beginning at verse 1. It says there, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And the very first word in this verse is important. If you notice in your English Bibles, it says the Lord is in all capital letters. This is not always the case in the Old Testament. Sometimes Lord is in lower case letters. And the reason for that is it has two different words that it translates into the English uh, word Lord. Uh, When it's in lowercase letters, as it is in Psalm chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord, lowercase, holds them in derision. Here, the Hebrew word is Adonai. The word Adonai is often used to describe Israel's God, But sometimes it's used in another way to describe even people in a respectful manner. For example, in Ezra chapter 10 verse 3, it says, Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put uh, put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord, lowercase, and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. This was after the time of exile in Israel's history. And the man who made this comment was a man named Shechaniah, a Jew, who had returned with the exiles of Israel back to the promised land. And so he makes this comment about Ezra, if you follow his flow of thought in the statement, referring to Ezra as Lord or Adonai in the Hebrew. 
And the reason for that was that it was a respectful term. And Ezra was leading the people of God at this point. He was an official of the Persian court. And so in Shechaniah's estimation, he is Adonai, not meaning God, but simply meaning a term of respect. And so while Adonai can refer to the living God, it is not as precise or personal a term to use when it is referring to God. And so going back now to Psalm chapter 27 verse 1, when it says the Lord in uppercase letters in our English Bibles, it is referring to the Hebrew term Yahweh. Yahweh is sort of God's personal name. It is God's covenantal name, the name that he uses to his people. He talks about himself being the self-existent God, not a God who needs something from his people, but a God who supplies everything to his people. And he commits himself in covenant to his people as the committed God in their lives. It says in Genesis chapter 17, verse 7, to Lord spoke to Abraham and he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And so David in his circumstances in Psalm chapter 27 looks not to a generic God. He looks to the God, the God who has committed himself to his people and the God who will be with David in whatever circumstance he is faces. And so when you need help, what kind of person would you turn to looking for help? You would expect it to be somebody who really cared about you, somebody that you could depend upon to come to your aid if you needed aid from some sort of people. And let me tell you what it's not like. There is in my extended family, there was a young lady who was expecting a baby and she went into labor and she needed to go to the hospital, but her husband would not accompany her to go to the hospital because he had plans for the weekend. He was going to go out and be with his girlfriend over the weekend while his wife was having a baby. That is a lack of commitment to somebody else. Boy, I thought things like that only happened in TV or in the movies, but here it was happening in real life. God is the exact opposite of that. God will never leave you or forsake you. And ladies, how would you like to be left in a case like that when you're in the most vulnerable position that you could be in in life, completely dependent upon other people to help you? And of course, you would want someone like God to be with you. That's the kind of God that we have who is our covenant God. God is so dependable that he is the complete opposite of all the failures that we can think about in our lives. God is even more dependable than anybody else that you can think about in your life. Verse 1 further says that Yahweh is my light. Well, what does it mean by this? Well, the Bible sometimes uses the word uh, about God to mean his holiness or his purity, as it does in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says there, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But it seems strange that the psalmist would find comfort in the fact in his present circumstances 
that the Lord is holy. And so more likely, light means something like the source of life or joy or hope or truth, the good things in life that we all desire. And so David sees the Lord as someone that he can look to as the source of life's goodness. It's like it says in the book of James in chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, it uses the words light in James's verse, just like it does in Psalm chapter 27, verse 1. But here in James, I think it means something different from what the psalmist means. As Pastor Ben pointed out a few weeks ago when he pointed on that, he, uh, he said that uh, it, the light refers to the created lights of the sun and the moon. But what is relevant from James in this verse is where it says, every good gift and perfect gift comes from God who we call Father. And so it is something like these good and perfect gifts that David thinks of when he says that God is my light. Verse 1 further says that the Lord is my salvation. And salvation here probably does not mean salvation from sin. And the reason that I think that is because it does not fit the context. However, salvation in the Old Testament frequently meant deliverance from an enemy. And so this appears to fit and is, uh, I think, what David means. David has faced many physical dangers in his life. And so he looks for the Lord to be his deliverer from his present circumstances. And this ties in with the following phrase that God is the stronghold of David's life. A stronghold was an almost impregnable fortress in which David could take refuge. And so God would hide and shield David from the circumstances, the hazardous circumstances in which he found himself. And he would put him in a secure and impenetrable place safe from his adversaries. David further says rhetorically in verse 1, Whom shall I fear? If God is David's source of goodness and deliverance, what could possibly come against him that would cause him to be afraid? I mean, when you had the biggest guy and the strongest guy on your block, on your team, who is there that's going to be able to overcome you? When that guy is a big brother, he's the one that's going to protect you in all of the circumstances that you face. And so don't freak out when somebody threatens you. Your side is greater and more powerful than those who oppose you. And so the Lord as David's light and salvation indicates God as David's foundation of goodness and deliverance. In verse 2, the better translation is found in the New American Standard where it says, When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. The Hebrew words translated stumbled and fell are in the past tense as I just read them. They're not in the present tense as the English Standard Version shows. And they're not in the future either as the NIV shows if you happen to have that translation. And so David is reflecting on past events when his enemies have attacked him. They stumbled and they fell. 
They were like the Keystone Cops or the Three Stooges. They were bumbling, and God caused them not to have skill against David. And in verse 3, he says, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. And so in the future, based on David's past experiences, should an army come against him, armed for war and trained for violence, David will not be afraid. They may seem to be invincible, such that one is unable to defend himself when he has to rely on his own strength and his own resources. But God is able to overcome all those things, to give him power far beyond the resources that he normally has. And verse 5 expresses basically the same assurance. He says, For he will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And so again, in the future, David will be safeguarded this time by being concealed in God's tent. God's earthly dwelling was the tabernacle, which was a tent. At this point in redemptive history, the temple had not been built, even though that term is used in these verses. And God's tabernacle was not a very substantial protection since it was made out of cloth. And so an enemy could very easily penetrate something that was made out of that kind of material. But the thing was that that was God's dwelling place. It was the representation of where God met with his people. And so it did not matter what the material of construction of the tabernacle was. God was going to defend his tabernacle and the people that were there. And so from past experiences, oh, once I skipped over one thing, David would not only be concealed in the tabernacle, he would be elevated high upon a rock where David's enemies could not reach him. And so from such a place, defenders could easily be driven away if it was necessary. And God protected his man by putting him in a safe place. And so from past experiences, David presently anticipates that the Lord will conceal and shield him from future dangers. And so why not trust a God who puts his people in these trials but then helps them and us through them, such as was his promise to Israel anticipating the trial of exile in Babylon in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 and following. It says there, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And so not only is the Lord the committed covenant God and the good and delivering God, he is also the tender, merciful God again in his protecting care of his people. And that makes him trustworthy with our lives. Who's the most trustworthy person in your life? I always think about mom. Mother's Day is next week, so I'm a little bit early, but I thought this was a good illustration. 
Who do uh, children always run to when they have a problem? When they get hurt and they scrape their knee and they have a bobo? They don't run to dad, they run to mom, don't they? Because they know mom is the most compassionate person that they know. Mom is usually understanding and she's soft. And so she's the most trustworthy person I know to deal with the problems that we face. Well, if mom is that way, who do you think God is and what do you think that he is like that created mom? And further than that, God compares himself to a nursing mother carrying her children, carrying her people in his bosom to deliver them from the difficulties that they have. And so if mom is trustworthy, how much more so is God trustworthy with our lives? If God allows something to happen to us, then it was the best thing that could have happened to us because God has control of all those circumstances and God is trustworthy in all of those circumstances. And not only does David have past experience with the Lord's protection, another reason for David's confidence is his delight in the close fellowship with the Lord. In verse 4, he declares to dwell, or he desires to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life and to inquire or to seek guidance from the Lord. And when David mentions the house of the Lord again, he is referring to the tabernacle. Now, David could not dwell in the house of the Lord in the sense of living there because the only people that ever lived there was uh, no more than the high priest and maybe some of his assistants like uh, Eli in uh, the book of 1 Samuel and Samuel in uh, that same book. And so David means that he desires to spend as much time in the Lord's presence as possible as if he lived in the Lord's dwelling place. And David's attitude certainly points to his desire for close personal communion with the Lord all the days of his life. And the reason that David desires to dwell there is because he desires close personal communion to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Not that David can see the Lord because the Lord does not have a physical body, but he wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in his soul in reflecting upon what he reads and meditates upon in God's word. That tells us about the beauty of the Lord, the beauty of the Lord's character. It tells us that God is perfectly just that there is no corruption or sin in the Lord, and that he is reasonable and wise in his dealings with all people. And further than that, God is a loving God. And when we come to the new covenant, we further learn that God sacrifices himself for his people in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose name means that God saves his people from their sins. So when David reflects on his God's beautiful character, David can only worship. And then in verse 6, such a joyful communion will bring shouts of joy and songs of jubilant melody to the Lord, expressions of the delight that David feels in God's worship. And this is the way that we should feel when we come to worship. It is a privilege for us to come and worship God. And it should also be a pleasure 
when we come to worship God. It's kind of like when I was in seminary some 25 years ago, there was an expression going around. I don't know that it was limited to seminary, but they would say, real men does such and such. Real men drink their coffee black, or real men don't wear leotards or something. You fill in the blank, whatever it was that you thought. Well, we see in David's life that he was a real man. David was a warrior. He had great courage because of his confidence in the Lord. And yet his heart's desire was close communion with the Lord and exuberant joy in the worship of God. He loved his God and he trusted in his God. David, like I said for us, saw worship as something that was not only a privilege, but it was something that was also a pleasure. And so based on David's example, let me say that David was a real man by any estimation that we could come up today. And so real men love communion with and the worship of God. And those are the kind of men, fellows, that we should be, and also ladies. And so, folks, I cannot say what will be the future of any of our lives. It may be that the war in Ukraine will expand and will spill over and involve us in the war through treaty obligations, or it may be that our enemies will attack us directly. But our futures are not in our hands. They are in the hands of God Almighty, the committed, good, delivering, and beautiful covenant God. And since he is the one whose heart is kind beyond all measure, he can be relied upon to do what is best concerning us. And so let us leave the matter in his hands and depend on him who has shown himself to David and to us to be trustworthy. Let's close in prayer.